0: And before we dig into the specific topics of wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs, though, we want to explore three filters that can be used to read the book of Proverbs through. And the first one we looked at a few weekends ago on our weekend away, that love and faithfulness never leave you. Today is the fear of the Lord, and next week we'll use... Look at the language of what pathway to follow, the way of wisdom or the way of foolishness. So today is the second filter that we're looking at, the fear of the Lord. I'm going to begin by praying a prayer that the Wednesday night men's growth group prepared uh, based on the book of Proverbs. So let me pray as we come to God's word now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us that there is a lot that we don't know or understand about how to live in this world. Please give us discipline and prudence for what is right, just and fair. Help us to be people who listen to your guidance. Please enable us to understand and apply what you are teaching us in this book of Proverbs and in this passage today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We might have heard of the most common reactions people have in the face of fear, starting with the letter F. Uh, Fight is one of them, that you resist or retaliate. Uh, Another one, do you know another one? Flight, yes that's right, where you try and hide. Then there is the third, freeze, where you don't do anything but just give your mind time to plan and prepare a plan of action, or your mind just goes numb. There's actually uh, other researchers added a fourth one. Does anybody know what the fourth one is? Fawn, that's right. Who said fawn? Okay, well done, Peter. Uh, It's a term coined by a therapist called Peter Walker, fawn, F-A-W-N, as a verb, not a noun there. Uh, And to fawn in the face of fear can be an unconscious decision to engage in behaviour that seeks to please and pacify the threat in order to keep yourself from harm. Now, As we come to what the Bible says about fear, is one of the fight, flight, freeze or fawn responses one we should take when we think about what it means to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? And This passage today picks up on a little bit of what it means to fear the Lord. There's a lot more that could be said, but this It's just picking up on one. And on our recent uh, church weekend away, we saw how fulfilling our responsibility as humans to fill the earth and to take care of it involves us being knowledge gatherers. We gather knowledge. There are two sources of knowledge, natural knowledge, which comes from what all of us can observe around us through our senses. And we use that knowledge to make decisions, to, to navigate our way through life. Some make an assumption this is the only valid knowledge, but that's an assumption. But there is also knowledge that is beyond our senses to comprehend, and that is what we call supernatural knowledge. It includes everything in the spiritual world that is beyond our human ability to work out for ourselves. It has to be revealed to us by God in a way that we can comprehend. That is why it's also known as revealed knowledge, God can choose to communicate to us as much as we need to know. Ultimately, it is only through this framework of supernatural knowledge of what God has revealed to us in the Bible that we're able to understand the meaning and purpose and significance of the natural knowledge that we glean from the world around us. One piece of supernatural knowledge God has revealed to us is who our Creator is. The Lord God. And as creator, the Lord God is ultimately the source of all truth. Both natural and supernatural knowledge comes from God. All truth is God's truth. And that is our starting point of knowledge and what Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is picking up on. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, as the first proverb that appears in the book of Proverbs, the placement of this fear language draws attention to its importance throughout the whole book. And the essence of verse seven reappears in chapter nine, verse 10, saying, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." Uh, probably the one we're more familiar with. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding." Now as we've seen previously, chapters one to nine. In the book of Proverbs, lay down a bit of a framework for interpreting the rest of the Proverbs, the the one-line Proverbs, mainly in chapters 10 to 29. So this language of fear brackets this opening framework section, but also reappears in the final chapter, 31, uh, verse 30, as as Chrissy read it out for us. Uh, and, And although the exact expression, fear of the Lord, appears 14 times, the language of fearing appears uh, more than 20 times in the whole book, uh, and we, uh, we had them read out for us. Now, the phrase fear of the Lord, it's, it's quite hard to pigeonhole, exactly. It's easier to, to describe uh, than it is to define, but uh, let's try to unpack it a little. Now, when it comes to the different facets of fear, we tend to view, uh, view fear in negative ways, negative ways, negative terms, but let me draw your attention to two elements of fear. There's the emotional element of fear, and then there's the element of attitude. Now, we can have an emotional reaction to fear when we are scared of something and we shriek and cry out, uh, just to see if you're listening. Uh, now, or we can have an emotional reaction of awe in the face of something powerful and scary. So, whoa. Well, back when I was a youth group leader, back in the 90s, a long time ago, I used to do an annual trip down the coast with a group of three or four youth group kids uh, on one trip in my little 1977 Galant station wagon. I called El Dorado the Golden Galant, a tiny little car there. And uh, i just picked them all up in Wollongong, because I'm from Wollongong, and uh, I'm not sure if you've been to Wollongong, but you come down Mount Oosley it is, and then into Wollongong, there's sort of a a big right-hand turn at the bottom, but there's an entry point onto the freeway there, and on that big right-hand turn. I remember pulling onto the freeway at the bottom of of Mount Oosley in Wollongong, and and all of a sudden this massive truck just came flying out of nowhere, (laughs) down just right beside me as I was coming through, I couldn't, I didn't see it at all. And in that moment, the guy sitting behind me, uh, sitting behind the driver's seat just there, he just, he just sort of looked up and there's just this, this truck that was right there. And the only thing he could say was, whoa, trucks are big. <laughs> it was like the understatement of the century. Trucks are big. That's right, mate. And needless to say, for the rest of the trip, every time we saw a truck, we, we pointed out to poor Ed, trucks are big, mate, aren't they? Trucks are big. He couldn't help himself. But this kind of emotional reaction was expressing more of a sort of a reverential kind of fear uh, than a scared kind of fear. And uh, yes, trucks are big. They are indeed. uh, But a drop in the ocean compared to the bigness. The bigness of God. And Psalm 47 picks up on this marvelling kind of fear. Of God when it says in the in the message translation. I've done the message translation. Applause, it says, everyone, bravo, bravissimo, it says, shout God songs at the top of your lungs. Loud cheers as God climbs the mountain, a ram's horn blast at the summit. Sing songs to God. Sing out. Sing to our God. Sing praise. He's Lord over over earth. So sing your best songs to God. God is Lord of godless nations, sovereign. He's king. He's king of the mountain. And that, that kind of awesomeness, when faced with the awesomeness of the Lord God, what would normally simulate fear is turned into an exuberant kind of praise and adoration. The awesomeness of God. It's an emotional fear expressed in adoration. How awesome God is. Like the roar of a crowd in a sporting contest as they marvel at the skill of the players. But fear of the Lord can be, be more than just an emotional reaction. In Luke 5, it recounts a story of Jesus using Peter's fishing boat to to preach wrong. You might remember that story. When Jesus had finished speaking to the people, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Peter and his mates had been all night, up all night, fishing and caught absolutely nothing, not a sardine in sight in the boat. So they probably didn't want to hang around. In fact, they were already washing their nets and uh, getting ready to pack up and go home. You can almost sense that Peter and the others were a bit bit peeved off that this Johnny-come-lately carpenter teacher bloke who knew nothing about fishing was telling them, these seasoned fishermen, how to catch fish. Everyone knows the best time to get fish is at sundown, not in the middle of the day. What was he thinking? Maybe as a bit of a joke, Peter says this. He says this as it's recorded. Sir... We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, we'll try again. And I think you know what happened. At this time, verse 6 of the Gospel recounts, at this time their nets were so full they began to tear a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now, what was Peter's reaction here? Was he stoked that, oh, maybe we could have a good feast of fish and chips that night, maybe? Oh, be a good good feast? Or maybe thinking, hey, Jesus, maybe we could go into business together. <laughs> now, we could just call our business PJs, you know? Peter and Jesus, like, you know, <laughs> it's got a nice ring to it, don't you think? Is, is this the type of thing that he's thinking? He goes on, when Simon Peter realised what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, sir, please leave us. I'm too much of a sinner for you to have around. For he was awestruck by the size of their catch, as were the others with him and his partners too, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus replied, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for the souls of men. In his home patch out on the water, Peter knew how monumental this moment was. No one catches that number of fish in the middle of the day. It's probably a week's worth of fishing at least. There was something supernatural going on here. He began to see Jesus for who he really was and himself in light of that. Peter was awestruck that somehow he was in the very presence of God and didn't deserve to be there. Sinfulness in the presence of perfection. And the only appropriate response was humility. As Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Now, however, there's more to fear than an emotional reaction in a moment. The, the story of Peter finishes with the words that capture another element of fear. It says this, As they, soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Because fear can also be a settled state of mind that doesn't depend on our feelings. Fear can be an attitude that shapes our decisions. It, it's something that can actually be taught Psalm 34 says this, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you fear of the Lord. Rather than just an emotional reaction in the moment, we can also have an attitude of fear, an attitude of fear. Now, when I catch the bus out here on, on Coronation Parade, when I go up to Burwood or Stratfield sometimes, uh, or into the city, there, there, there's something inside me. I'm standing at the bus stop there. I'm just standing there. There's something inside me that stops me from stepping out into the traffic. The cars go pretty fast there. You know, it's 60k along there and they all go flying up there and I'm standing there and they're literally a metre away. Only a couple of steps. What is it that stops me from stepping out? Physically, it's literally one step. What is it that's stopping me? What stops me is an attitude of fear. It's a healthy attitude of fear a predetermined reverence for the reality that trucks are big, that buses are big, that cars are big, that it's dangerous to step out in front of one. But the intriguing thing is, even though I fear the traffic, fear the truck, fear the bus, when the bus comes along and stops and the doors open, my fear is gone. I feel safe and I step on board. The bus becomes a place of refuge rather than a place of fear. It is no longer something to fear, but becomes a place of refuge in the traffic. Now for Peter, his initial emotional reaction of fear uh, was when he fell at the feet of Jesus. It turned into an attitude of fear as he left everything and followed Jesus. In his fear of Jesus, he also found refuge in him. And it is this connection between refuge and fear that I find so fascinating in the book of Proverbs. And, and Ken's going to put up a proverb on the on the overhead there. It should come up on the screen. Let's have a look at this here. Whoever fears the Lord, uh, whoever fears the Lord, has a secure fortress. For their children, it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Now you can see the parallelism in these verses. Uh, We pointed out uh, parallelism at the weekend away. and The second line in verse 26 expands on the first line, fortress and refuge. Both are connected to the fear of the Lord. Now taking refuge in God seems to be one expression of fearing God. This is emphasised in verse 27 there with its contrasting lines of life and death. The fear of the Lord is connected to life rather than to death. Psalm 31 picks up on this in verse 19. It says, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. Fear and refuge are linked together. And why can we take refuge in the God we fear, that we have every reason to fear? The prophet Isaiah gives us some clues when he says in Isaiah chapter 11, he says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he would delight in the fear of the Lord. would delight in the fear of the Lord. No doubt it was a prophecy pointing forward to, to Jesus who showed us what it meant to delight in the fear of the Lord through his reverence, his awe, his honour, his adoration and obedience to the Heavenly Father. And by living a life of perfect obedience in fear of the Lord Dying in our place and rising to new life, Jesus opened the way for us to find refuge in the very God we fear and have every reason to fear. For those who trust in Jesus, we have a place of refuge in our fear of death and judgment. Proverbs 27 verse 12 says this, The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Question is: Have you taken refuge in Jesus, who has dealt with the penalty and death of death and judgment we all deserve, that we all fear? Or are you going to keep going down your own way and pay the penalty yourself? And this is what the second line of Proverbs chapter one verse seven picks up on. We come back to the beginning: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the word despise could be considered an emotional reaction, a word of contempt, but it also reflects an attitude of arrogance. We will keep going our own way, thinking we are above instruction, resenting correction. And the other thing I find fascinating about this book of Proverbs is, as I read it and study it and learn about it, is that there's a key, dif- a key difference between the wise and the foolish in the book of Proverbs is in their willingness or unwillingness to accept instruction and correction. Chapter 6, verse 23 says, Correction and instruction are the way to life. Chapter 12 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. That's the words it uses. Chapter 15, mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. In chapter 15, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. It's wisdom's instruction. Humility comes before honour. And in the flow of the Old Testament, Pharaoh is a classic example. When asked if he would let the slaves go from Egypt, he said these words, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. And after seven of the ten plagues, Moses said to Pharaoh these words, But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. Even after all the overwhelming evidence that he has seen, Pharaoh despised the wisdom and instruction from the Lord God that came through the lips of Moses. He was indeed wise in his own eyes and refused to fear the Lord. For us, ultimately in this life, what we should fear the most is thinking we have nothing. To fear. To think that we can turn our backs on God and have nothing to fear. We have every reason to fear the awesomeness of God that one day we will face death and judgment. Let's not take that lightly. But we can also take great comfort in knowing that we can take refuge in our fear because of what Jesus has done for us. In all our knowledge of this world, are we wise enough to learn from God or are we going to despise his wisdom and instruction in the Lord Jesus? All the knowledge in the world will only get you so far. It may give us ways to improve our life, but fear of the Lord shows us the way to eternal life. And as Jesus said himself, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Let me draw a few points of application out under three words, perspective, passion and practice. Firstly, what is our perspective on fear? Fear. Are you one who thinks we need to fight with God? Has that been your relationship with God, that you're sort of fighting with Him? It's time to stop resisting and humble yourself before God. Perhaps you've been running from God, and it's time, running from God, fleeing, taking flight. It's time to stop running. It's time to turn around and come back to God. Maybe you're frozen and paralyzed by fear in his presence because of your sin. You need to be reminded of God's forgiveness. Maybe you're tempted to fawn in the face of God and feel like you can manipulate him into giving you something that you want. No matter our situation, all of us need to be reminded of a fifth word starting with the letter F that is set apart and distinct from the other four the word faith let's not lose sight that through faith in Jesus Christ we can find refuge in delighting in the fear of the Lord we don't need to cower in fear before God because of what Jesus has done for us Let's take great comfort in that reality for us who are in Christ and take it as a warning for those who are not. Secondly, how will the fear of the Lord modify what we are passionate about? Is my passion for the Lord God too shallow to the point that I think I'm overly familiar with him and have nothing to learn? that my default setting is to despise his wisdom and correction when he's teaching us and guiding us? Am I too casual in my attitude to the point that I have no reverence for him? And how are we teaching reverence to our children? What habits do you have to redirect your thoughts to the awesomeness and the bigness of God's character? Sure, trucks may be big, but how much of your God's bigness, how big is your God? What habits of repentance do you have that is reflected in your willingness to be repentant before God and before others that you have wronged? Finally, how does the fear of the Lord change the way I do things, my practice? Am I in the habit of indulging in sin with a casual attitude of saying, I'm forgiven anyway, it doesn't matter? Do I practice what is efficient and expedient rather than what is right and just and fair? and I'm tempted to put practice before ethics. Do we despise the opportunity to receive instruction and correction from others? Because they're the people that God is using to correct us. Do we practice a lifestyle of being open to correction? Of not being right in our own eyes? of demanding that my opinion is the only right one and others have to bend to my demands, are we open to being corrected? Ultimately, our willingness to be corrected by other people is a reflection of our willingness to be corrected by God. Well, there's a lot to consider in these passages and I've only touched on a little bit of the language of fear of the Lord. But as a way to express our fear of the Lord, we're going to pause now and reflect on what God has been instructing us through his word throughout the service. We're going to have a moment of silence before we pray, a prayer of confession together that will come up on the screen. But I want to give you a moment to, to slow down and just reflect. I'll give us a minute. That's a long time when we're not used to that. Let me, and then we'll, there's a prayer will come up on the screen and we can pray it together. Let's have a moment to pause and reflect. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight, yet we still fail to love you and serve you as we should. Forgive us our sins, and renew us by your grace, that we may continue to grow as members of Christ, in whom alone is our salvation, amen. Brothers and sisters, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble, Therefore. We will not fear. Our Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificed once and for all to bear the sins of many. God, therefore, forgive those who look to his Son for mercy. Amen.